I cannot remember the last time a work stoppage of any kind happened in American thoroughbred racing, though I'm sure there have been. I don't think any such action, though, involved violence. Well, recently there was a strike by grooms in South Africa, and it turned ugly. We'll discuss what happened and whether it would have any repercussions here in the States on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll silent. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hip-hopping finish. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Trainers here in the United States have been concerned for a couple of years now about how the crackdown on immigration will affect the flow of backstretch workers, grooms, hot walkers, and other kinds of assistants. So far, it's been mainly business as usual here. But that's not the case in South Africa, where grooms recently staged a violent protest at Ranges Fontaine, a training center 20 miles or so west of Johannesburg. The issue in this case wasn't immigration, it was wages. Reports we've seen said that grooms basically took over the Ranges Fontaine Training Center and wouldn't let anybody go in or out for an entire day. Pictures we saw were of grooms wielding sticks and bats, many covering their faces with hoods so they couldn't be identified. The grooms smashed doors in the stable area, pulled assistant trainers from their rooms, and dragged them to the stable entrances. The grooms also threatened to open the barns and let the horses loose. That didn't happen, and the trainers and whatever was left of their staffs fed and watered all the horses. The strike lasted for three days, from June 19th to the 21st. An entire race card was canceled because of the strike. An agreement, from what we understand, has been reached, and so the grooms will go back to work, and things will presumably settle down. We'll hear from one of the grooms involved in the uprising in a little while. The whole ordeal left leading trainer Mike DeCock, the Bob Baffert or Todd Pletcher of South Africa, if you will, quite unnerved. He too is settling back down. And we welcome back trainer Mike DeCock here to Win the Gate to describe this situation for us. So it seems as though among the charges levied against you, at least in rhetoric, include paying poorly and even beating some of your grooms. What do you think when you hear that? These places have been neglected, to be honest. And uh, there's a very legitimate complaint that they need to be upgraded. However, when we have upgraded them, within two to three years, they've crashed them and returned them back to where they were. So, you know, I think everybody's to blame. They are to blame, and so are we. From what we've read, minimum wage in South Africa is 3,500 rand a month, which in U.S. dollars works out to $6.50 an hour. The agreement calls for grooms to make, in U.S. currency, $7.38 an hour, plus 1% of money won by a horse that a particular groom cares for. The grooms originally wanted $26 an hour. Now, first of all, who are the parties that negotiated the agreement? Okay, so let's just put this all in context. In South Africa, we charge roughly between 5 
and $650 per month to train a, a racehorse to race. So um, our minimum weight now is now at 4,000 rand per month, which is probably the equivalent of about $270 a month. So very close to 40 to 50% of what we're charging to train the racehorse. South African grooms generally work two horses to one groom, whereas in the state, most other racing jurisdictions, you'd be working four to five horses to one groom. So that's all got to change. We're going to be going similar, three to four horses to one groom, up in the, you know, increasing, increasing the wages. I'm very happy to concede that the wages weren't the greatest. However, the wages were what is affordable within the industry. If a horse wins a maiden plate in, in South Africa, in our area, he would probably five thousand dollars, five to five five and a half thousand dollars. So I think everything's got to be taken in context as to what we are what we are what we are charging. So it's very cheap to train a racehorse in South Africa at five and six hundred and six fifty dollars a month. However, the knock on effect is the wages are being not great. Has a violent protest like this ever happened before, to your knowledge? It's, I mean, there's been, in South Africa, these violent protests happen all the time. I can only really talk within racing. This violence in my time in racing, to be honest with you, I haven't seen. You know, I'd like to believe knowing the guys that work for me, I've never known them to be this violent and this militant. Which is which is which, which is so disconcerting. But then again, I've also never known them to be involved with a political party to get involved with them. You see, and, and I think that is is the difference: is that when politics is at play. So after the agreement was reached, whoever reached it, these grooms presumably came back to work. I mean, what was it like yes. for them and for you to try to go back to business as usual after that? You know, they seem to be fairly unaffected. They just, <laughs> they just crack on. You know, I suppose that's a little bit of a sort of life in South Africa. We, you know, it's, uh, I mean, this is just, an, I'm, I'm a very slow South African and I'm a dire South African. But we are a fairly violent society. So violence wouldn't be viewed as it would be in the States. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make an excuse for it. But we actually do grow up with it a lot more than most would in the world. So I'm not saying that it's right, but we're possibly a little more accepting of it and we're probably a little more forgiving of each other for poor behavior sometimes. Well, that said, I mean, how scared were you for yourself, for your farm, for your horses as this was happening? You know, to be honest with you, I mean, I can remember the, the one morning driving in at about 4.15 and driving towards the training center and I was confronted by about 200, 250 armed guys. And I just said, you know, my, my son slept in the stable that night and at 3 a.m. they had gone in and they had violently removed all of our assistant trainers who are all, who are all of color. The guys that have progressed out of grooms and progressed and improved their lives and the assistant trainers had the same status as my son. And they had dragged them out and said they have to participate in the fight. And my son finally called it to me and said, Dad, you, you need to get your quick with this. You know, this is happening. And I got there, and there were 250 people confronting me with weapons and didn't want to let me in. And I said, listen, gentlemen, I'm going in. 
Our horses are now decided that, and so is my son. And if you don't let me in, I'm driving. So, you know, fortunately, sanity prevailed, and we went in. You know, I'd, I'd like to believe, Barry, that at the end of the day, inherently, these are generally peace-loving guys, horse lovers, animal lovers. And that this was, it, it was a, it was craziness. You know, that's just theater. People do stupid things and then think about it afterwards. Well, I know, you know, we've seen people on different sporting teams, you know, tussle on the field and then presumably go out for a beer afterwards to talk about it. It just seems like this yeah. is a little bit beyond yeah. that. We're talking with South African trainer Mike DeCock here on In The Gate. Now, this whole situation had an impact on you personally as well. How was your health affected by this? Well, you know, unfortunately, um, I'm fairly volatile and your temper gets up a little. And I want to be tolerant of the of the scenario, but I hate to be falsely accused. Um, I know my wife lo- runs an unbelievable aid program. I mean, we're very proactive in our groups to all over the world with me, even in, even to the states of taking groups, Dubai, whatever you, you know, we, we try and uplift them. And to sit and listen, you know, listen to them falsely accusing you of all sorts of uh, silly things and, um, you know, the threat of violence all the time actually starts to start to get you. And unfortunately, I sort of, you know, my blood pressure shot through the roof. I thought I was having a heart attack, but, you know, thankfully it was only just... Um, blood pressure, but, you know, I was, uh, you know, it, it, it did affect me because it was, you know, it, it touched the nerve, it was something really close to, close to home, and I hard my family with, and I hard my, my wife goes to try and save lives with, with the AIDS programs and what have you, and to be accused of being a racist and beat them up and all that stuff, it was just absolutely absurd. But again, you know, I must boil down to this, this was a political party, that was going to do whatever they needed to do, say whatever they needed to say to get a result, to get a headline. I'm very convinced in my mind that there's no way that the people I employ are this way inclined. This was politics at last. How do you feel right now? Well, you know, you, 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 it's, it's easy to get bitter and twisted about the whole thing. And, and we've actually had to relook at our business, restructure. I'll have to lay, I'm going to have to lay off 25% of my staff to meet the demand in terms of wage-wise and possibly just to streamline things and make things a little better. I mean, those who remain employed in lives will definitely improve, but there's going to be a few that are, are now going to be unemployed. And this is going to be a reality of South African racing. I think South African racing is going to shrink. We're going to go through a restructuring process. And thirdly, there's going to be many, many, many hundreds of jobs lost. We've seen it in the mining industry in South Africa as well, where we had starts, demands for massive wages, they were met. But along with that came restructuring and massive unemployment. It's a sad indictment of the society in this, you know, which is a miracle of a country, really. You know, if you think of what we've come to, to get where we are, and now sadly we need to go through this. I had read one article that said you'd be cutting your staff by almost half. Now I think I hear you said a quarter. How much are you working the numbers here? No, no, I, I was never, it was never a half. It was going to be anything between 25 and 40%, just depending on the amount of horses that remain. Um, I'm restructuring. I used to do my own pre-training. I'm now going to be sending horses out for other people to do. So 
with the restructuring of my business, we're going to be 25 to 40% down on stock. Now, you've run horses and experienced racing cultures all over the world. What kind of impact do you think this action by grooms will have around the world, including here in the United States? Well, you know, look, that's very hard to say because, you know, one sort of worries about your own scenario. Um, I, I, I really don't know what grooms get paid in, in the States. I do know one thing, that on my travels around the world, grooms around the world work far harder than ours do. And ours are looking after two and three horses. Whereas if I look at, if I remember correctly going to the States, every guys would be looking after four and five. Uh, definitely in England, they're looking after, they're riding up four and five lots. In Australia, that's possibly even more five and six. So it's not as if they're the hardest working in town uh, with respect to them. So, you know, possibly we need to just to change the way we run things here too. I think our dreams possibly could work a little harder with respect to them. I, I think they're getting away, you know, with not working as hard as, 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 the, as the international dreams were. And um, it's something that they could possibly learn something from. Our guys, don't get me wrong, are very good workers. But we've been spoiled a little bit in South Africa in that there's been an abundance of labor. And so working uh, one groom to two horses has been a luxury, but we've also not seen the best players because of that. So we can increase our wages drastically to meet international levels as well, even. but then they're going to work harder. Well, we're glad that you're okay and appreciate your taking a few minutes to enlighten our audience about this volatile situation. Thank you so much, sir. Very an absolute pleasure, and we really appreciate all the support we get in South Africa. We're, uh, we're a very passionate country that has got the issues, and we need, we need the support of the world, to be honest with you. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, some more perspective on the South African uprising with five-time champion trainer Jeff Woodruff. So don't go away. Welcome back to In the Gate. The uprising at the North Rand Training Center in Rangisfontein lasted for approximately three days, June 19th through the 21st, but the momentum leading to the action started almost a month earlier. From what we can gather, the grooms, who were not unionized, were influenced by a five-year-old radical political movement called the EFF, the Economic Freedom Fighters. On their website, they list among their goals the introduction of minimum wages in order to close the wage gap between the rich and poor and to close the apartheid wage gap and promote rapid career paths for Africans in the workplace. Those sound pretty reasonable, and the truth is that many of the grooms that handle South African thoroughbreds are black, so the EFF's goals seem to make sense for them. But the EFF also describes themselves as a radical and militant economic, anti-capitalist, and anti-imperialist emancipation movement. They've been described by others as leftist and Marxist, and two years ago, one of their party's political candidates was disqualified from a local election for saying that white people should be hacked and killed. But make no mistake, the EFF has influence in South Africa. In the country's general election held in 2014, just one year after the party was formed, the EFF won 25 seats in the National Assembly, their version of Congress. That's the third highest total by party, well behind the top two, but still way ahead of the many other parties that exist in the country. 
We tried repeatedly to make contact with a representative of the economic freedom fighters, which is why we posted this podcast several days later than we planned. We were told that someone would get back to us, but we followed up several times with no response. And as for the grooms, you'll hear in our conversation with five-time champion South African trainer Jeff Woodruff why exactly the grooms would not speak with us either. I spoke to my head man and he said, well, don't ask them because then they're going to feel like they're being singled out. There's intimidation amongst themselves. You know, what you need to understand is that quite a radical political party has got into their ear and they now fear for their own selves, their safety, because an injury to one is an injury to all. So uh, they'll consider that traitorous action. This is Africa, and intimidation is the order of the day when there's something that goes on like this. And as I say, a fairly radical political party's got a hold of them called the EFF, and they are fearful of reprisals against them if it even, even gets out that they speak to you. Wow. You know, they went on a wildcat strike. So obviously it's twice they've done it. They've broken the law. And we're in the you know, process of trying to get everything settled down. We have addressed their grievances, um, but now the EFF are pushing them for more. So it's, you know, we're involving labor lawyers and the CCMA, but everything's going to be done completely by the book. Right. How do you feel? I feel, in, you know, in, if, if any of them did have legitimate grievances, then of course I feel for them. That would, that would have been in a small minority. On, in Kauteng alone, there are most probably in excess of a thousand grooms. And when I say the minority, I, I don't know how many, I can't put a number on it, but I don't think it would be even 10%. Um, but, you know, weren't meeting, weren't uh, receiving every benefit. We pay unemployment insurance fund, workman's compensation. We pay this for them. They get accommodation, which they said wasn't good enough, but meanwhile they trashed it. Uh, millions of rands were spent on refurbishing it only about three years ago, and they, they, they trashed it. They're a bit of a lawless nation, a backward nation, if you know what I mean. And they're all paid above, not on. They're all paid already before the wage negotiations. They're paid above the basic minimum wage of the country. So nobody was breaking the law in any way, shape, or form. And their hostel is provided for them by the racing operators. And uh, they've spent a great deal of money on it. And in one game of football, they broke 100 windows. Well, gives you an idea. Well, I understand. I'm trying to learn more about this because I can't tell you I know a lot. But I'm trying to learn, and it's definitely eye-opening. Well, it's eye-opening in as much as it's frightening what a radical group can do to amongst a guy, a bunch of guys that are normally peaceful. And they're peaceful. They love their horses. Most of them want to get on with it and get back to horse racing. You know, that's where they get the bulk of their money because they do get a percentage of prize money, which you know can be quite significant. And they're, they're being deprived of that all the while they're not working. And they realize that if they're on a wildcat strike, they're not going to get paid. We did pay them. We forgave them the first strike. Preferred to call it a demonstration. Okay, it was a demonstration. It was a pretty uh, rough one, but anyway. 
But the last time they, they went on strike, and they're not getting paid for that. Otherwise, you're bowing down to everything, and we're not going to do that. Law and order must prevail on both sides. I mean, the thing that's so strange about this is that the grooms are not actually unionized. They don't have a per se union. Well, they did. But this is how it works in Africa. They had a guy called Simoto who led. They had three unions, but the main one was a union called SAGA, S-A-G-A, which is the South African Grooms Association, led by a guy called Simoto. Well, he basically did nothing for them and then got a job as a security guard on one of the race horses. So now they're very fed up with him. And that's why one head groom of one of the big stables turned to the EFF in desperation. But I don't think he realized that he was opening a can of worms. So their own grooms, I mean, Grooms Association let them down. They never contacted us. There wasn't wasn't a word. The first we knew about it was when we were confronted by the EFF. Grooms here in the States just aren't organized enough to be a union. So that whole thing's strange to us, that grooms would be unionized. Yes, and they had to pay subs, but apparently they, they were fed up. Their union leaders did nothing for them. You see, our basic minimum wage is 3,500 rand. Not even, but it's going to be that. A lot of these guys, they were campaigning for 14,000 land. So can you imagine? Now, the owners, the racehorse owners in this country, they're not going to afford it. They're not going to want to do it even if they can afford it. So it's it's an unacceptable request. But then filters down through the grapevine. And I was in more than 30 hours of meetings with them. They're not nice people to, they don't negotiate, they just shout. So you keep your temper. What was it like in there? Well, you could cut the air with a knife, put it that way. Wow. And they had quite a violent demonstration. The one, In fact, two, twice they had quite violent demonstrations where they were holding various assorted weapons like machetes and spears and stockwhips and all sorts of things like that. I don't think with the intention of using them, it would have been, you know, disastrous both ways if they'd done that. But as a show of force, if you know what I mean. I know there are violent protests of one sort or other in South Africa, but in your experience, have you ever seen anything like this in thoroughbred horse racing? Not quite like this. This is the most violent I've seen, but inciting peaceful people, you know, making them brave and telling them that they can have the world, well, they're, they're going to stand up and be filmed holding something that looks like, like a weapon. I mean, why not? They haven't got much, so they're going to push their luck. Now, obviously, this is a big deal in South Africa. The audience to which we broadcast is American. And I'm wondering if you can envision a larger movement by grooms around the world mimicking what you're having in South Africa. I would hope not because I think this largely comes due to a lack of ignorance, A, of the law, and just be just sheer education. A lot of these guys have a very, very low standard of education. It is, it is considered, and I don't want to use the word menial, but it's unskilled labor. Sure. And uh, as a fact, you don't need a degree to be a, uh, a groom. And furthermore, you can, you, can, you can come in from school. 
and get your job uh, almost straight away, you would be the prerequisite from my side. I can't bring him in and say he's an apprentice. I'm only going to pay him a pittance. I still have to pay that guy the basic minimum wage of the country for that industry. And obviously, grooms fall under agriculture and, and forestry. Uh, the problem is it's a very labor-intensive industry. Now, the grooms in America might get quite jealous when they find out that the grooms here are mostly only looking after two horses. Their hours are not long, although they'll say they are. We actually worked it out. They're well below 45 hours a week, which is the standard of the country, 45-hour working week. Of course, they have to work on weekends, some on, some off. You know, because it's uh, you're dealing with animals. It's uh, it's it's not a machine that you can just turn a switch and lock the door. So the little bit of the Sunday overtime that's been negotiated for too. We have to pay time and a half, but that still falls in the 45 hour in total working week. So it's not that they're asked to do more than 45 hours a week, and it's not that they're asked to do anything that is not part of the job description. Now an educated man would see that. Now, before we started, I had said to you that this was originally an off-the-record conversation. May I, in fact, quote you on all of this? If you choose to, you can. I haven't said anything to you that I'm not prepared to um, to back up with fact. Well, we very much appreciate your time and candor, Jeff Woodruff. Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome. Our thanks to Jeff Woodruff and to Mike DeCock. In May, it seemed as though horse racing would surely get a boost as sports betting was taken off the prohibited list. In the early stages, wagering would most likely take place at racetracks where the licenses exist. But in New Jersey, the state which challenged the ban in the Supreme Court, the rules for where the betting parlors could be include land parcels that held live racing several years ago, like tracks in Cherry Hill in Atlantic City. The Cherry Hill site, Garden State Park, is now made up of condos and retail stores. No racing in 17 years. Yet soon a betting shop may open there. Are you surprised? It's the start of racetrack owners' biggest fears. If you think racetracks will just inherit the profits from sports betting, as if it was an inalienable right, then I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. It's going to take lots of work by the racing guys to make politicians bite. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.